Welcome to Conversations Over Coffee, where we're brewing inspiring discussions on the Philippine startup ecosystem with those who are making things happen. I'm your host, Bitsantas from Kickstart Ventures. Join me in every episode as we sit down with key figures in the startup community as we explore their successes and challenges and how we can work together to shape the future. Hey everyone, we're back here at Kickstart Headquarters. I'm joined by Philcor Capital's Maria Ojumar Racho. And we're sitting here today to talk a little about the, the work that she's been doing with the Asian American communities and specifically maybe some of the startup communities in, in the U.S. and how they're also, you know, coming over to our side of the world and, and kind of connecting to their roots and seeing how they can also support our communities. So welcome, Maria. Thank you. Nice to be here, Ben. Thanks. Uh, how's the visit been so far? It's been incredible. I haven't been back since 2019, so it's so nice to be back home. Oh, it's, it's pretty exhausting too, though. I, I added on another immersion program on top of the one that I had already signed up for with the Filipino <laughs> Angels. So I'm definitely getting my time's worth of really getting understanding more about Manila proper and from many, many angles. Hmm. So you guys have, are, are here for about a week, right? Yes. For the uh, and today Angels is your second or third day? Day two. Day mm-hmm. two. Right. And you have about three to four meetings, I under, as I understand, per day. Per day at least. So it's a pretty mm-hmm. hectic schedule. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. Well, I guess we'll kind of zoom out and kind of start, where, start at the beginning. So, you know, were you originally born in the U.S. and raised there or were you born here and then your family moved? Like how, what was, what's the, what's the beginning of the story of, of Maria? Yeah, I was born here in Manila, uh, moved to Chicago at age two and a half. My parents actually had come to Chicago the year prior to get jobs and get settled. You know, we had one relative that lived there and then that relative moved to California. So they were a bit on their own. But I came out there and went to school and have lived in Chicago my whole life. And Mm. yeah, and so it's interesting because like when we talk about where the story started, if I fast forward a little, there was a point in time when I found a little cassette tape. So I'm dating myself, but a cassette (laughs) tape that it was a baby singing Bahai Kubo and like talking fluent Tagalog. Mm. And I asked my parents, who is this? And when they told me that that was me, I couldn't understand. I was (laughs) about seven years old at that time, seven or 10 years old at that time when I found that tape. And they told me that when I came, they were advised by the school, by their neighbors to make it easy for me to stop speaking the language, eating a lot of, you know, our foods and Mm. doing a lot of these cultural things because it'll just be easier. So it worked. Six months later, I was eating McDonald's. I was, I said, can I call you dad and mom instead? And um, I was speaking English, but it wasn't until I was much later, actually, when I was a working professional, that I realized that there was a big part of my identity that Mm. was missing. Um, Very interesting, but at the same time, you know, like different times. Different (laughs) times, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So were you guys able ever to come back to the Philippines and visit home when you were younger? Yeah, once when I was eight, but it was when my grandmother had passed away Mm. and my parents were both working parents. So they had very limited vacation and the, just the cost to be able to come here was very, was a lot. Yeah. So 
I had some memories of that, but I was still a child, so not fully formed memories. Mm. Um, but then the next time was when I was a grown adult. So I was, a, I was already a, a mother and I came back here with my son. Um, I was a youth advisor and we came here for a convention. And that was the time that I think that's when I really connected with mm. who I was as Filipino, because I think there was a whole, there was a part of me that was missing for a large chunk of my time. And I think that was a huge catalyst for when I started to really understand and embrace and explore my identity. Right. Yeah. So like one thing, like I don't really talk about a lot and um, some people might not know, it's like I actually grew up abroad as well. Mm. My dad worked in the Middle East for 20 years. So I was wow. actually born there wow. and I lived there until I was 10. So I kind of relate to the experience of only coming back home for like, just, well, at least in our case, we were able to fly uh, regularly just because my dad worked for an airline. So we got the oh, benefit nice. of having, <laughs> but like I can appreciate how difficult it was relative to how it is now to fly back. Right. Yeah. Um, where, you know, the world is not just smaller in terms of being able to communicate over the internet, but air travel is also, it's not as big a deal as it was, mm-hmm. um, you know, These just days. a few decades, mm-hmm. de- decades ago. Yeah, yeah, so, definitely. I guess kind of going now towards the work that you've been doing with the Asian American communities, I, I suppose, you know, there was at some point you kind of realize, okay, there's this um, part of my identity that I want to connect to and there are others around me who have, you know, who share the same identity, share the same experience. Yeah. So how did you come to connecting with these communities and, and, and working with them? Yeah, so um, my parents have always been very involved in the Filipino community in in Chicago, not having any family there or, you know, friends that became our family. Mm. And so there's like our core values as Filipinos, right, is like that kapwa, like that, you <clears throat> yeah. know, coming together and like, and that is, um, you know, I remember growing up, whenever we saw a Filipino down the street or like in a store or anywhere, my parents would be like, hi, hi, you know, and, and that's just kind of because there's so few of us. And it's like, it's almost like, you know, rekindling with family. And so community was always an important part of my life because I think I equate community with family. Mm. I was the only one of my, all my cousins and all of that that was in the U.S., so I knew I had a big family back here, but I was an only child too until I was about eight years old. So with that, like when I came here as an adult, the work that I was doing for this conference, I was I did a leadership workshop with my youth that came from the U.S. and then the youth that were here that were scholarship recipients from our organization. And one of the things that I had them do was like a perception exchange. And I asked them like, what what keeps you up at night? What are the pressures that you deal with? Just so that they can start to hear each other and see each other's different realities. So um, my youth from the U.S. said the pressure from my parents, you know, peer pressure, pressure of which college to go to, all valid. And then my youth from the Philippines were like, global warming, corruption, the fighting to be able to go to school. And one of the girls speaking, I I can still remember, um, she was a daughter of farmers. She was the eldest. And the pressure on her was help work to be able to support your siblings. So she had to fight to go to school. And she was saying how important the scholarship was to help her go to school. And then she would do her chores after school. 
And that was just not only a wake up for my youth, but a wake up for me because I mean, I grew up in the US and just didn't, you know, like it just helped me to understand a different context. And then we were doing some relief efforts during that time. My own volcano had erupted. There was a typhoon. There was um, mudslides that immediately followed that. So thousands of families displaced. And when we were doing the relief efforts, I was just struck by the resilience and the upbeat spirit of our people. It was like, we're alive. We have each other. It doesn't matter that everything was just washed away, but today's a new day. Tomorrow's a new day. And they were creating things with the resources around them, our, you know, art, crafts, tools. And I was asking questions about these could be exports, you know, maybe these could be like economic means for them to be able to create their own business or something like that. And I was asking about like, what kind of support or investment is going into, you know, offering that. And at that time, I mean, this was quite a while ago, was the jobs are in the BPOs, that's where the focus is, you know, and I understand mass jobs, and I come from corporate. Um, but I kind of left thinking, there's so much potential, mm. like such talent and such like innovation and just such resourcefulness. And I think that just stuck with me. And I came back to the U.S. I actually shifted careers. I was in technology. I went back to school for organization development because I really wanted to hone my ability around systemic change. And the thought of like, what could I do just never left. And so, like, fast forward, I continued to come back with my family. And prior to the pandemic, it was almost every year, sometimes twice a year, whenever we could. We'd luck out and get some really great deals. And so it was just like, we had to go. And things started to take shape that of the community work that I did, I did want to do. And so... What it started to evolve to was I originally wanted to create incubators that mobilize local networks that could go into like the most rural communities. And I had been thinking about that for quite a period of time. When I was at Allstate, I launched a couple employee resource groups. One was for Asian Americans and then the other was called Entrepreneurs at Allstate. And it was a few of us that just had ideas, but there were never any pathways to bring those ideas to life. And we would often be told to just like stay in our box and focus on our work. <laughs> and, you know, and we thought, well, no, we think we can help the company. So we signed up as an employee resource group, as this diversity of thought, and it grew to over 800 members and became the corporate incubator for the organization. That was why I thought, oh, okay, maybe this is a way I could help mm. in the Philippines. <clears throat> and so fast forward at uh, some community work that I was doing, Asian American community work, I met my uh, now business partner, Diane, who's a Korean American. She introduced herself as an angel VC. And I was like, this is the part of the ecosystem I'm not as versed with. Mm. I just have to meet her. And it was a rare, kind of a rare sighting for one in in the U.S. to see another Asian to be in that role. Right. And then a woman. It was like a rare butterfly. So when I reached out to her and said, can I just pick your brain and shared my story? She said, she kind of took me under her wing and was like, you know, I could help you. I'm doing something similar in Korea. I have resources. And it was finally someone 
that had a pathway that I could mirror, you yeah. know, mm -hmm. and she was giving me, she was telling me what to research, who people to find. And every time I would just kind of like come back and I would come back and have like all these things done. And she said, it's really noble what you are wanting to do, but there's a, have you ever thought of other pathways? And one is you becoming an investor yourself. So, um, so that actually, I, it, I first said, you know, no. And like, I don't know, I'm not as, <laughs> oh my God, right. you know, I know how to like set up this incubator, but I've always been producer of the show. So I went and started researching. I saw women got only 2% of all fun venture funding in the U.S. on unchanged stats actually got worse. And then I saw this whole movement to democratize investing so that it can democratize who gets invested too. And that became my new mission. I came back and said, okay, what do I need to do to start? So about three years later, after doing some angel investing, joining some syndicates, you know, doing whatever I can to just start practicing, I had signed up for an accelerator, a VC accelerator. My initial thesis was the Philippines mm -hmm. and center my pitch. And it, out of 2,500 applicants, you know, she was like, you have a compelling story, but not a lot of background. Why don't we partner? And that's when she shifted from my mentor to my partner. Got it. And so out of 2,500 applicants, we got in, we made top 10 of that cohort and, you know, pivoted a number of times and launched Philcor. Interesting. So maybe like just taking a step back for a minute in kind of establishing for yourself that I want to be more supportive of the communities that I'm a part of. What is it about like the entrepreneur that kind of attracted you to that kind of profile, right? Mm -hmm. there, there are lots of pathways that you can support people on. Yeah. What was it about the entrepreneur path that attracted you to it? So I love business. And in my field of, of OD, I work with executives and C-suites, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. But what I found with the startups is that it's the most human form of business. Each person on that team is creating out of nothing and creating from their passion. And that I just love people that are passionate. And so to be around that, to help them mold and shape you know, their visions to reality, that has just been super energizing and empowering. So that's what's drawn me to more of the entrepreneur. I also think my dad being an entrepreneur, mm. you know, is like there's a soft spot in my heart as well. Like I see, I, you know, grew up seeing how hard he worked and how he would create these side things, often side things to bring community together. Mm. So along with being having his own insurance agency, he started a production company <laughs> where he was bringing artists from the Philippines to, to do, do concerts, concerts. Oh, wow. to bring community together. Yeah. And um, they would also rent movies that would be released, um, Filipino movies, to rent a theater Again, to kind of to bring community together, to bring a little more home to these folks that are you're a bit lost and alone often in this big new world in the U.S. It is a bit of a, a Filipino and I guess largely an Asian trait of, again, being very community centric, but also, you know, coming from uh, more humbling backgrounds and beginnings. There is that kind of mindset that, you know, if no one's creating something, 
you know, I'll create it for myself, right? Yeah. Or there's a gap in the market. Let me fill it since I, like, yes. I have something to offer. I also kind of extract some value out for myself and support my family. But also, again, like with that element of community with it, right? I, The community can support me as much as I am supporting the community and what I'm doing. Yeah. I think that's the potential of it. You know, I think the... I think the reality is I don't think entrepreneurship has been as supported. Uh, you know, again, I grew up in the U.S., so I'm not sure as much how that is here. But in the U.S., more than 60% are first-generation immigrants, right? Mm -hmm. Like Filipinos are only 1% of the entire U.S. population, even though it's 4.2 million people. So, and we speak English. So when people, when families immigrate, it's easier to get jobs, whereas Korean Amer American or someone from Pakistan or something like that, you know, the language barrier is much higher. So sometimes out of necessity, they have to start businesses. Mm -hmm. But generations later, some of those families end up being in a much better position than, you know, maybe families that have just taken traditional jobs. So what I'm seeing even in the Filipino-American community is entrepreneurship is still rather new. Like it's still rather, it's not as widely supported. It's risky. So our first generation parents, parents is still, still scary. So oh, that's, that's an interesting point because I, I never really thought about that before because I guess much has been said about how Filipinos are very adaptable people. We assimilate very easily. Right. And I guess that's a little more visible. We're assimilating within an English speaking culture like in the U.S. Yeah. Where English is, is very much a second language for, for Filipinos. So it's a, it's a much easier time for us to just kind of start blending in and finding our own paths within the paths that are already laid out there. Yeah. And we're not as forced, I suppose, to find alternative paths, I guess mm -hmm. you can say. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting point. Yeah. And it seems like a riskier path mm. to go the entrepreneurial route. Yeah. You know? And so I would say that while it's the support is starting to emerge in our community, it's not as widely supported as we may think right and i guess also imagining what's going through the minds of like these the the first of, of first generation filipino immigrants to the u.s yeah. it's like the, the very point of us moving to the u.s is because we see like there's it's a land of opportunity there's more opportunity right. here there's less risk yeah. and so why put yourself at any more risk by right. choosing a risky mm -hmm. a risky path well and if you also think about it culturally you know like so asian americans are often encourage more technical types of roles and careers mm. because there's less chance of the prejudice and bias there's more about your performance could speak for you right. versus being in a space that's like marketing or, you know, or something mm. that is, there's so, so much more subjectivity, right. you know, and judgment that could come in. So oftentimes Asian Americans are not as, you know, encouraged to go those creative routes. Uh, things are changing for sure. Yeah. Definitely. But um, I guess but, like that kind of mindset also led to many of these Filipinos who are put on those kind of technical paths yeah. actually to be in a better position to kind of start the kinds of companies and startups that we're seeing today. Yes, yes. absolutely. And that's where I think the potential of like starting to nurture entrepreneurship or even have conversation about that as an option. 
I think that's important. You know, I left a 29-year corporate job just last month <laughs> to mm. focus full-time on PhilCore. And, you know, first, a lot of people, they think that's crazy. crazy. Yeah. You know, you're doing really well and you're like working with C-suite and like mid-level executive yourself. And why would you just leave the security to go pursue this? But, you know, my hope is too that it also opens up possibilities for others and it's terrifying and I'm thankful I have a supportive husband who's <laughs> like um, supporting me but it's also so fulfilling right and you it's, know? it's living the entrepreneurial dream that is exactly what you want exactly. to support as well right, right right so in working with Asian American entrepreneurs Filipino American entrepreneurs and maybe specifically also as as we kind of near International Women's Month yeah uh, also, also women, women entrepreneurs within yeah. these communities what characteristics do you think founders with these backgrounds kind of bring to the table? I think they bring a boldness to fill those gaps and see possibilities that most others don't see. And it's a necessity. You know, there's many problems out there that need to be solved. Many new needs that haven't been identified yet, you know, with the changes in future of work, the changes in how people want to interact with even their doctors or attorneys or things like that. All of that change just opens up tons of possibilities because the world has shifted and it's entrepreneurs that will fill those needs. And so your question was about what are those characteristics? What are the characteristics that are kind of unique to Filipino Americans and, and women entrepreneurs? So I think the characteristics that are unique to Filipino Americans, I would say, are the creativity and the innovativeness. It's interesting being able to work with my business partner. She's also a VC partner of the Korean government. So it's interesting to see kind of like the different strengths and cultural, mm. you know, differences. differences. And what I've learned about uh, us as Filipinos is how innovative we are. Someone said the amazing thing about Filipinos is like we'll take one technology and we can find 10 ways to use it and two ways to hack it, you know, <laughs> and it's so true. Like we'll find so many use cases or, re you know, we're just so resourceful. Right. So I think that is a huge gift. And if we could, you know, continue to nurture that and then put systems and infrastructure and pathways to help continue to grow that innovation, I just think there's so much potential of the impact of these of Filipinos and Filipino Americans. Right. I guess the kind of, I imagine like the, two parts to that, right? There's one, again, coming from a kind of a culture that's grown out of a situation where resources are limited mm -hmm. and ingenuity just kind of naturally springs yes. out of that. I also think back to my dad who's like, you know, when I look around our old house, my parents' house, like yeah. there's tons of things that my dad just like put together in a kind of haphazard way, but it works. Yeah. Right? And also thinking my uncles used to call my dad, uh, you know, He's like MacGyver, oh, dating myself now. Uh, <laughs> I but, know MacGyver, yeah, so I get so you. <laughs> just the ingenuity of that. So that, I think that's one. But another, I think, is particularly, you know, when cultures meet. Yes. It's also the ability, kind of the innate ability of people from kind of multicultural backgrounds to bring multiple perspectives. Right. And just having that, I guess, it's natural mm -hmm. to be able to step back 
and look at something mm-hmm. from an outsider's mm-hmm. point of view because you're, you're always, always kind of doing, doing that, right? Right. You're if, always kind of navigating. Right. If, if, you're, if you're coming into something with, say, for a Filipino American, a Filipino mindset, um, your American like point of view is kind of outside in, yeah, or you know, vice versa. Yeah, yeah. So you're you're a little more used to that kind of thinking and kind of being able to see different angles to something. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. And I'd also done research, my thesis on Asian American executive successor attributes, and one of the things that came from that was the criticality of bicultural identity integration, which means. I embrace who I am as Filipino and I embrace who I am as American. And sometimes we don't have that conversation. And with that, then there's kind of like an imbalance. But if we can really embrace those multiple identities that we have, we can see those different views from those different lenses in like an appreciative and productive way. So the challenge with our, you know, like I talked a bit about our kapwa, right? And then there's our bayanihan of like what we come together. And um, those are great, great strengths. And so that collectivism is just part of like our culture. But in the U.S., when you think about what is recognized as leadership, you know, often it's like the individualism. That's how we're measured. That's how we're judged. Our directness our assertiveness, you know, and if you're not like that, it's questionable, you know, are they a leader? Maybe they're good worker bees, but I don't know if they're a leader. And those are the things that we have to navigate because it doesn't feel natural, you know, because growing up, like we're told, it's not all about us. (laughs) And then all of a sudden now, unless we're able to promote ourselves or show what we bring to the table, we can be invisible. So as we are able to embrace those different identities, we can start to see that there are strengths that we're able to do a bit of both, you know, like we can be assertive, we can show up and be able to show what we offer in an authentic way that is also about because we're doing this because it's about the greater good. So a lot has been said as well about what many people are calling sea turtles, right? People with roots here in Southeast Asia and the Philippines who have either moved abroad, studied abroad, or was born and raised there and then coming back as sea turtles do. And many point to that as one of those characteristic of many successful founders, and which is very true, right? We have, even within the Kickstart portfolio, we have a handful of founders that, that kind of fit that profile. What do you think makes them unique? What advantages do you think that kind of background gives them? I love this analogy. And now you're helping me understand why I love sea turtles so much. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely resonate. I think what makes that that special is there's a sense of finding ourselves, finding ourselves back in our roots and then being part of something so much bigger than just ourselves. Mm. I guess it's something that some people can take for granted because... If someone who was born and raised in the Philippines or born yeah. and raised wherever they were, yeah. that's the only reality that they grew up with. Mm-hmm. And they just naturally accept that reality because there's no tension to it. Mm. Yeah, there may be different tensions. Yeah. With my thesis, I was doing a lot of leadership development, Asian American leadership development. And oftentimes what I would hear is they feel like they don't belong anywhere. Mm. In the U.S., it's clear by how we look, maybe even terms we use. And sometimes we don't fully understand some of the analogies that people throw out there. Always feel like an outsider. And then coming home, we feel like an outsider, even though it's like, oh, others look like me, but still, I don't get it. So a lot of the 
Asian Americans were kind of navigating belonging. And I've been amazed by how many philams that I've been meeting through this last couple of weeks. That's what I'm sensing. The group that I was with last week, there is a number of them that were coming back for the first time. It was like what my reaction was when I came back as an adult. It was like this completeness and almost like I found home. Mm. So I think that might be a little bit of why this connection. So when I talk to a lot of people in the local startup ecosystem or people who are looking at the Philippine startup ecosystem, a lot of people say that being able to bring in the experience of people who have kind of experienced the level of success that startups have achieved in more developed markets, such as the U.S., even just Singapore, Indonesia, is something that we kind of need to level ourselves up and to give startups here that needed boost to get to the next level. Mm-hmm. So that kind of implies what we really need is kind of an injection of experience some guidance and things like that. Yeah. But outside of that, just from, I guess, in terms of personal experiences, I suppose, and kind of perspectives, is there anything that you think the local startup ecosystem can learn from sea turtles, from folks like yourselves? Or maybe another way to look at it is, what do you hope to share from your experiences to the folks here in the local community? I think the belief that our people here are just as talented and capable as anyone else and to just believe that and own that. I think in the U.S., maybe we've had to learn that. And like, if not me or ask ourselves, why not me? Because no one else will ask that for us. So I think that's something that I would encourage founders here. Like, why wouldn't your product be able to scale to the U.S. or to other global markets? Couldn't you take this one restaurant concept and maybe think of something potentially bigger that maybe this could be franchised. I think it's sometimes similar to what Diane did for me of unlocking possibility. I think that's what we need to do for each other. There are special things here that would really be of great value to the rest of the world. Okay, so you're here with a group of Filipino angels. You're three Mm -hmm. days into your trip. Yeah. We've already had a bunch of meetings, but a bunch more to come. Right. What are some of the unique things that you guys have encountered or have learned so far? So it's only been day two of the Filipino Angels Immersion Program. And I have seen just a lot of evolution of the startup ecosystem here in the Philippines. I'm very much in awe with the partnerships and how that's coming together to really grow and serve these founders. I think there's a lot of potential, too, for it to continue to grow. Having been also part of another immersion program the week prior, it helped me just to see this emerging possibility that's coming from here. And the thing that excites me is there's an emerging energy in the U.S. as well with Filipino Americans. Mm. You know, they have such a great pride in being Filipino from what they're building. There's one company that is emerging and it's called Historia, and he's these pop-up night markets. And what he wants to bring people through is our history from pre-colonial to current in different stages through food and art. And it's opening the doors to the next generations and to really finding their path as to who they are as Filipinos. And there's just so many different examples of these energy and reconnection and then translating that into 
commerce, into a company, into a way to build and create. And so I think there's energy that's happening here and something that's really emerging and energy that's happening outside of the Philippines with other Filipinos that I think opens up a lot of new possibilities in the future. The ones that are in the U.S. are like, that's the whole reason why this immersion program happened. This was completely organic. There was someone that said, there's very few VCs and angels that I know that are Filipino. Let me just start making a list. So they created this list and then they said, whoever's out there, share this with others, allow them to opt in. And it grew to about 150. And then they said, would anyone want to go back? And this group of about 20 said, yeah, I want to go back. And so we're all kind of on this journey together, but it's just symbolic of this desire of these sea turtles. It's very gratifying to hear you kind of affirm how we feel about where we are as a community, as an ecosystem, that we've achieved great things, yeah. but there are greater things to come, that the Filipino startup ecosystem is ready to join the global startup ecosystem. Yeah. Definitely a big part of that is getting the support of our fellow Filipinos who are already there as sea turtles do come back mm-hmm. and join us on that journey. Mm-hmm. I guess zooming into your work with Philcore Capital, is there anything you're particularly interested in or found interesting so far in your visit here or you know, kind of emerging in, in the local market or among the Filipino-American communities that you're working with? I think there are what I've been really interested in are the companies and, you know, it's many of the companies are solving some really significant problems, global supply chain issues. There's a lot around sustainability. Again, it's the problems and needs that people are seeing locally that also, if you kind of zoom out, there are also challenges at a macro level. So, yeah, there are a few companies that we're really interested in and looking at. Companies are looking to expand into the U.S. That's where we really have our strengths and networks and resources that we can really help. So that's from our perspective, that's what we're really interested in. So maybe just for the benefit of anyone who's listening, who might be a good fit for what you guys are Mm -hmm. looking for and and the kinds of companies you want to be working with, what exactly is Philcor Capital looking for currently? So our focus is on Asian American women is our primary So that does translate to if there are women founders and or women led companies that are looking to expand into the U.S. So Filipinas that are in that position. And you had asked earlier about what's the difference of women founders. There are actually stats that have shown that having one woman on a founding team actually increases the returns of that company, like 63 percent of startups that have a woman on at least one woman on their founding team have outperformed. And so there's stats to show the difference and like the different lens that women bring. But what we've also found with the women founders is that they're often heads down working, doing some incredible work that is under the radar. So that's really why our focus is on this underserved aspect of communities that we know are doing special things that are often unseen. So anyway, I think I'm rambling a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) So companies that we're looking at, primary focus is on Asian American women. So if there are women-founded or women-led companies coming from the Philippines, expanding into the U.S., we would definitely consider them as part of what we're looking for. 
early stage tech companies that are solving some really interesting problems. Cool. So for any founders who kind of fit that profile, how can they reach you? So they can reach us through our website. They can reach out to inquiry at philcorecapital.com or we're on LinkedIn as well. Got it. So we'll be sure to share those details wherever we have this podcast available to, so everyone can easily reach you guys. So yeah, I think I've reached the bottom of my cup. Thank you very much, Maria. It was a great chat. It's always fascinating where you feel like you have a good grasp of a topic, but being able to sit down with someone and kind of go deeper, you always find new perspectives. Yeah. Thanks so much, Ben. This is, it's been incredible to be here, be part of Kickstart and learn more about it and be welcomed into the ecosystem. So we really appreciate just the Kickstart being so open and welcoming Philcor and our Filipino Angels group. It's been an amazing experience and great learning. And we hope that this is just the start of more conversations. Got it. Before we let you go, I just wanted to ask one last question. Us as in the world of VC, we operate in the realm of ideas and concepts of the future. Has there been any specific idea or concept of the future that has particularly excited you recently? Yeah, I'm actually really excited about the AI accessibility that has been happening with ChatGPT. I think it's important to understand how that works. And I've been seeing some technology that has been utilizing it. I think it could really leapfrog and democratize access to education and information. But I also think at the same time, it's important that we are continuing to build our capability around critical thinking and validation and questioning. But I think I see some possibilities and I'm excited about what I'm seeing in that space. The other is I'm proponent as well around democratizing access to wealth building and uh, seeing some things around fractional shares and stocks, being able to invest in fractional assets. I'm excited about that as well because that makes those ability to enter into investing and to build generational wealth more accessible to the average person. Got it. Okay. Very cool. Thank you very much, Maria. Thank you very much for joining us. I hope you enjoy the rest of your stay here on your current trip. And we hope to continue seeing you around every time you come home. You're always welcome to visit Kickstart. Thank you. I look forward to it as well. Thanks for joining us. Follow Kickstart Ventures on Facebook and LinkedIn to know who we're featuring next.